Have you ever wondered why there is a growing interest in psychedelics as a source of healing? Or why traditional treatments for depression and PTSD often fall short? In this week's episode of Spiritual AF Sundays, we bring on Yahan Kamzazadeh, PhD, author of The Psilocybin Connection, to discuss how psychedelics work and some exciting statistics on how effective they are in treating those with treatment-resistant mental illnesses. We'll also delve into the role of psychedelic mushrooms in expanding human consciousness throughout history and their potential for cultural change and revolution. Along those lines, you'll be surprised to find out which state in the U.S. was among the first to use state-level funding to support psilocybin research. Are you ready to open your mind and expand your understanding as we journey into the world of psychedelics and their transformative power? Let's dive in and discover the untapped potential of these soul-manifesting substances. It's time to grab your favorite beverage, sit in your favorite chair, and get ready for this week's episode of Spiritual AF Sundays, The Spiritual Perspective of Psychedelics, with Dr. Yahan Hamzazadeh. You're listening to Spiritual AF Sundays, created and hosted by The Mystic Geek. If you're looking to explore intriguing questions about the meaning of life and our place in the universe, then you're in the right spot. We dive into topics often discussed as sound bites on social media and take a deeper look, whether it's woo topics like astrology and mysticism, or seemingly mundane matters like technology and politics, we cover it all. We explore our own thoughts and beliefs, talk to experts, and uncover hidden meanings. These fascinating areas of exploration can help us question ourselves and better understand our world. Ready to grow and explore in your spiritual journey? We're glad you can join us. It's time to start your week off by being spiritual AF. Welcome back, listeners. Today we have Dr. Yahan Hamzazadeh with us. It's a pleasure. I'm grateful to be here with you and your audience. Thank you. Tell us a little bit more about yourself. Yeah, so I got my doctorate in consciousness from the California Institute of Integral Studies and my dissertation and f- big focus for the last 20 years has been psychedelics, both for the transformation of consciousness and overall its impact on evolution in the early uh, parts of humanity and the roles that they could play with us moving forward. Glad to hear that. We're going to start off with keeping it fairly simple since a lot of my audience is new to this topic in general. How would you define a psychedelic? The word itself with Greek origins tends to be psyche, mind, and delic is manifesting, so mind manifesting. But there's also deeper roots with the word psycheism with psychology, which originally is meant to mean soul, you know, before more of a materialized reductionistic worldview. So you can also see that it's soul manifesting. Other words that have been taken into the psychedelics is entheogens, entheo meaning God, entheogen meaning opening the God within. And so that tends to be the perspective with these substances more in a spiritual paradigm that you're connecting with the planet, with the universe, that it's not just your brain hyper-connecting, but this is the way that nature talked with us. Since there are plentiful, there's thousands of plants that grow psychedelics, and there's at least 200 different species of mushrooms that also naturally grow and evolve psychedelic substances. With psychedelics, you mentioned mushrooms. Are they only mushrooms, or are there other types of plants that can be considered psychedelics? Many. We've yet to discover them all. So there's about 2,000 plants that just have DMT inside of it. And then there's plenty of cactuses that have mescaline, known as also like Peyote in San Pedro. There's Salvia divinorum. 
In terms of psychoactive substances, it's quite a far reach. As far as mushrooms, there's over 200 different species of psilocybin mushrooms. And there's also other mushrooms like Amanita muscaria, like the Mario Brothers mushrooms that's fairly iconic. So they tend to grow in most ecosystems. You used another term amidst there, and I really want to make sure people understand this. You mentioned DMT. What is DMT? It's become known as the spirit molecule. It's a substance that's found in our brains in most of life. Rick Strassman in 1994 did a lot of early work on this in a clinical setting. And he worked with about, I believe, 60-something participants giving high dose of DMT. And most people in that study and even present day, you have a very strong visual Sometimes you can call them hallucinations, but the sense is that you're tapping into a different reality. And many times these realities inhabited by other intelligent beings. So where it comes spirits, aliens, sometimes God. And DMT is a very fundamental, simple molecular compound and structure, right? And most of the other psychedelics that they're serotonin based are based off of DMT. So psilocybin has DMT inside of it, right? Ayahuasca, which people tend to use as DMT, mixed with harmaline, which extends the DMT process. LSD also has DMT inside of it. And so they tend to work with our receptor sites because our body already has DMT very well, generally with no biotoxicity. I want to go further on that. How do psychedelics work? How do they affect us? Yeah, So many routes of which we can see that. We look at the brain, as I mentioned, the most common ones fit into serotonin receptor sites, like a key going into a lock. And it quiets what's known as a default mode network in the brain, which the neuroscientists tend to associate with an ego sense of self, where you think me, I, and I. That's a network that lights up. As that network or voice quiets down, the brain begins to hyperconnect. And that network, the default mode network, is overdeveloped in people with anxiety or depression because you're constantly in pain, right? So you're constantly thinking about yourself. So that's overdeveloped. And as that part quiets down, there's a sense of unity that arises in the brain, along with a lot of creativity and stimulates neuroplasticity, so the ability for the brain to change the different patterns, and also stimulates what's known as neurogenesis, the growth of new neurons, so the brain physically begins to heal and grow. Exponentially, Stanislav Grof, he's been a researcher in this field for about 60 years, he says psychedelics catalyze what's called holotropic states of consciousness, states that organically move towards wholeness. So any repressed parts of our psyche, given the right dose and setting, tend to come up to be integrated with inside of us. How did humanity start using it? Did one of our ancestors long ago eat something that they thought was weird and all of a sudden it became a thing? How did this all start? Great question. That was actually the heart core of my book and dissertation research. And I took the idea first from Terrence and Dennis McKenna. And the idea is that early human consciousness was catapulted forward from the rest of the animal kingdom because of the use of psychedelic mushrooms, being the idea so simple that Our consciousness expanded historically. Nobody can really doubt that compared to the rest of the animals. There must have been a consciousness expanding substance in the environment. As we mentioned, psilocybin mushrooms are plentiful in the environment. It's the most common mushroom in the Africa savannas where we evolved. There's anthropological evidence showing cave art use of psychedelic mushrooms in the area. It looks like when we were primates moving into hunter and gatherers, it was plentiful in our environment. Anthropologists are pretty all set that shamanism was the first kind of form of ritual and spiritual inclinations in humanity, that there is a facilitator or guide that kind of talk to the spirit world and use plants, right? So you have the beginning of religions and rituals and historical evidence throughout the entire world, throughout caves and other artifacts. And so the idea, it's been there all along as we move into the agricultural revolution where we started to grow our own plants and foods. We fell away from a lot of the other plants in the environment. And as Yuval Noah Harari and his bestseller Sapiens point out, 
mushroom spores are elusive. So they didn't move into the agricultural revolution. So a lot of the world lost contact. That being said, indigenous societies kept that practice. And in the Americas, you had about 70 million people up until 500 years ago when the Europeans came that had huge psychedelic societies here. So the Mayans, the Aztecs, the Toltecs, we had millions of people here. And then also indigenous societies across Africa and Asia still using psychedelics along with mushrooms to connect spiritually with the environment. Got it. So basically it was that one of our ancestors ate something, but it led to discovery. It led to a lot of growth. And then yeah, as you shared through the agricultural revolution and all those sorts of things, we lost touch except in pocket areas on it. And mm-hmm. then we start hitting the last century when it's, at least as far as I'm aware, and you can correct me on this one, it seems mm-hmm. like there was like an increased awareness in the last, since 2023, I would say about 50, 60 years ago yeah. is when we start seeing that a bit more. And nowadays it's starting to become a bit more in public awareness, but there still is a lot of mystery around it. Would you say that's about correct? No, that's definitely correct. And part of it's it's sad of how we've lost contact for so long. But even 500 years ago in the late 1490s, when the conquistadors were coming and the clergy, they wrote of the Aztecs having high-level mushroom use. And the order from the church was to eradicate that use. We had the largest genocide, ethnocide in human history. So there was a lot of judgments and blocks within Western societies to not look at shamanism and other cultural practices as a sense of validity. So we've really had to move culturally and become a lot more open-minded. And then it was in 1955, Gordon Watson, he was a J.P. Morgan banker that went to Mexico, had the first psilocybin experience in a ritual setting, published it in Life magazine in 1957. That widespread knowledge of psychedelics became really huge. Then you had the hippie revolution in the 60s. Uh-huh. And then the fear counterbalance from the general public. As Michael Pollan writes in his bestseller, How to Change Your Mind, that came out and probably also made psychedelics big. He says, at what other point in human history did the youth have such a searing rite of passage that the prior generation didn't understand? So when we don't understand things, we tend to be scared and push back. They became illegal, pushed away from even scientific explorations. And over the last two decades, thanks to a lot of organizations, including MAPS, they put a lot of efforts in psychedelic research. So now the science is pretty sound. And building off that platform, a lot of like the rest of society's really been coming on board. With the History Society, you mentioned that there has been pushback initially with the conquistadors and Mm -hmm. the church wanting to just eradicate everything. And then this counterbalance to the 60s where there's this lockdown. Why do you think that there's always been this Mm -hmm. resistance? Yeah, and I hope the audience takes this well because it does bring radical change. So the personality trait known to change the most in clinical settings with psychedelics is that known as openness, the openness to new ideas. It's also associated with creativity and intelligence, right? And some systems, that's quite a threat. And so like even in the 60s, people that took psychedelics started fighting the Vietnam War. They started fighting for racial rights. They started fighting for feminism. So there's a lot of loss of power. And then with the church and religions, and even though these can be very spiritual, it tends to get a lot deeper than like the more kind of general religious kind of cosmologies. And so if you have something like Christianity where like we're the one and only truth, that's a threat to that belief. And so it was seen as like even in the late 1500s as Satanism and kind of devil worshiping, the use of plants, right? But witches were burned, right? For using plants. And so that kind of mindset is shifting. We've become more open-minded as a culture. And it's probably our greatest source for psychological healing. You know, just looking straight at the clinical evidence. And because of the rise of 
depression, which I believe the World Health Organization says it's the highest reason for disability right now in the world, increasing suicide rates, increasing anxiety. But it's very clear that the antidepressants aren't necessarily working. General therapy isn't necessarily working. And so people have moved forward to embracing psychedelics. And there's pretty much no political opposition now, like Republicans, Democrats, everybody's been on board. You mentioned the mental health side. What type of studies have already been done when it comes to the use of psychedelics and treating various either mental illnesses or I would even consider PTSD, even though it's not necessarily wired or predispositioned in someone's brain, but having it where the environment impacts them to where it rewires things. What sort of research has been done on that? I'm going to group together what's known as the tryptamines, which includes LSD, DMT, which is also ayahuasca and psilocybin. Molecular are very much the same and create very much similar states of consciousness. So it looks like it's an 80% success rate with treatment-resistant depression. This is a population that they've already tried pretty much all the other treatments, both kind of therapeutic and medicinal, and it hasn't worked. 80% of that population heals, right? 80% success rate with near of end of life anxiety. People diagnosed with a terminal illness with six months to two years to live. And because of that impending death, they're paralyzed in fear and can't enjoy the rest of their life, right? So 80% of them get out of their fear trap. 80% success rate for alcoholism and nicotine addiction, which is the highest numbers out of any other transformative modality, right? No other therapies hit that number. Success rate with OCD. And, th- and I think there's going to be a list of a lot more. Again, these substances create wholeness, which breaks a lot of these patterns that we have, including a deficient sense of self. MDMA has been super successful for PTSD because it kind of releases fear in the body and helps somebody feel safe. So these are the highest numbers compared to any other modality. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah, That is definitely amazing where you have these people who are modern Western medicine system for all the advancements it has, hasn't been able to help them. But mm. this plant medicine has, that is, that's, I keep wanting to say, there, wish there was a better word than amazing, yeah. but that's pretty much it. It's awesome. It's amazing. It's damn. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So that's the clinical kind of observatory statistics, and they are amazing. It's equal and parallel to the actual experience itself. There isn't much to use as a metaphor to kind of compare it to, but trying to show somebody a color they've never seen, it's, it's impossible. If somebody's never seen blue, you can't really explain to them blue. It's not like I can point to green or red, really. We're talking about an expanded state, possibly of unity, connection, everything, deep experiences of love that can go beyond our biography, cleansing and connecting with your ancestral family line, connecting with the entire planet and nature. And just one of these experiences can drastically change one's orientations, their worldview, their values, their sense of meaning of who they are. So the experience itself can be quite profound. So looking forward on this one, from where we are at in 2023, we have this sort of culture war that's going on right now. I'm not going to name all the different things, but it's almost like people on one side are doubling down on the status quo. Mm-hmm. and on trying to maintain various things and others are promoting change. Do you genuinely see these tools gaining greater acceptance when their use is, as shown in history, leads to the change and disruption of the status quo? Because mm-hmm. I'm looking at this going, yeah, there's acceptance, but once people start catching on that this could lead to another cultural revolution... Mm -hmm. I'm curious where you think things are going to go from there. 
It, they are probably my greatest hope for cultural change and revolution in the sense of we're getting back and evolving. You know, nothing really stays the same. If it does, it kind of withers and becomes stale. All of nature keeps evolving and changing. So that's something we have to get used to. There is no such thing as not growing. You do wither and die and atrophy and become irrelevant in many ways. Okay. I see them as part of the way that nature itself creates to come into alignment and self-organize. It's because we haven't been using them that we've grown so out of balance. How effective they are just in the statistics and numbers, there will probably be a psychedelic clinic in every town and city. Most therapists are really excited to learn this modality. And it looks like in 2025, we're going to move towards federal legalization for MDMA and psilocybin, right? So federally, doctors will be able to prescribe these two medicines, one for depression, one for PTSD. A lot of the MDMA focus has been on veterans. So people that really still have a nationalistic kind of bent, but there's a high suicide rate. I think it's 21 veterans commit suicide a day. There's been a lot of effort from the vets to really integrate psychedelics. Also, strangely, because as we move into this political war, Texas, who tends to be very conservative, is the first U.S. state to use state funding for psilocybin research. So strangely, we're really united on this area of mental health. <laughs> Understandably, it goes beyond that. We're all suffering. Suffering unites us and brings us together and gets us past our kind of smaller identities of, I believe, these values, I'm this kind of person, I'm this religion. It hits a core unity underneath all of us. That's, wow, Texas being the first state. When you hear all the different things about Texas and their attempts to control people's bodies, that they're the first state to put money towards research, that's mind-blowing. I know. Yeah. That is definitely mind-blowing. Totally. They have a lot of hope because it creates that sense of values. If I could speak from my personal experiences, I've had hundreds of journeys. And there's times I've looked down and I became like a black lesbian, where I'm black, I'm a female, and I, I like females. Kind of like a very sense of what's the most other I can go in this psyche. It happens by itself. I've become plants. I've become animals. And so it creates a deep experience of connection with everything around you. When you have those kind of experiences, you have easier empathy, and it's really hard to other people. This could be a way of building a more equal future by allowing those who might be rigid in their beliefs that opportunity to step outside of that rigidity and to experience life in a different way and possibly learn empathy that way. Oh, absolutely. That's what the studies show in terms of letting go of rigidity. And I've seen it in my own life. It's a strong example. I was a very hardened atheist until I took mushrooms. Like I had a thousand reasons why God doesn't exist. And then yet you have these direct experiences with something divine or with nature, and it's kind of self-recognizing. I can't lie to myself and say that didn't happen. So it really does break us out of whatever box we're in and show us the potential for much more. So I'm going to ask a question just because this is something that's starting to build more awareness as well. THC. So mm. marijuana is starting to get legalized in various states. And I know there's a push for that to be legalized on a federal level as well, or at least decriminalized on a federal level. Would you consider THC or marijuana to be a psychedelic? I know some people say yes, some people say no. I'd like to hear your view on it. It hits so many of the qualities of what we consider psychedelic, a sense of boundary dissolving, a sense of unity, a sense of getting us more in touch with ourselves and a, a deeper sense of consciousness, more creativity. You know, So it hits all the markers. Of course, somebody could do really high amounts of THC and go into more psychedelic states, but it's not the same amount as taking a regular dose of mushrooms, right? So that just goes much stronger in that direction. So I personally do. 
I've studied the plant for a bit, grew it for a long time. I don't smoke it anymore, but I'm really a proponent for it. We smoke the sexual organs of the female plant. We let go of the males and you smoke how it uses to reproduce. And one way I can see it is a feminizing agent in terms of just a tantric approach of polarities where people get in touch with their bodies, they slow down, they become more creative, they're softer. And our culture worldwide has been really overcompensating way into the masculine, right? Overproductive, using all the resources, prizing intellect. And so for a world that's speeding up so much and using all the resources and obsess on productivity, it slows a lot of people down, causes reflection internally, helps them kind of dance and kind of get into their body. So I think worldwide, it's been an amazing medicine to create equilibrium. Then after that, it's up to us of each individual of how often we want to use that medicine. Thank you so much for sharing all of that. So next steps, what can people start doing today to help support this movement? Yeah. You know, education is the first and foremost. That's why I spent a lot of time doing this and wrote a book on it. When I started this, there was two psychedelic trainings. I was it. I hear of a new one every week now. Aside from the education, people can learn to grow mushrooms. So that legally, that's up to them how they want to maneuver that. But there's a lot of websites, including my friend Seth set one up on mycorisingfungi.com that shows you how to just grow mushrooms. That's a way to build a relationship. Then we created a peer supporter online training too with another company I worked with called the Silo Health. So P-S-I-L-O health.co, a free four-hour training to help people learn how to sit for each other. And that being the case is as much as I'm actually a proponent for working with a psychedelic guide or therapist, first and foremost, mm -hmm. then a ceremony setting. If you can't do one-on-one or afford that, like a group experience, a lot of people can't afford to pay a professional. If we're looking at underprivileged communities around the world, most of them can't afford a therapist. And so you want them to go find a specialty therapist. So we created at least the fundamentals harm reduction model so people can begin to just heal their own communities. So there's many maneuvers depending on how deep they want to go with this relationship, whether it's just understanding yeah. it, practicing it, or beginning to hold space for others, and then eventually maybe getting trained in it for sure. Thanks for pointing out that a lot of these things that are out there do require money or access on it so that there's this community level where people can provide mutual support on it. That's really inspiring that that is also being developed as well yeah. to help people with this. Yeah. Personally, for my life, and I think for a lot of people, it's developed empathy very large. There's a sense of oneness where you can feel everybody's pain. And oh, yeah. the only way to create the world we want is by doing it together as much as possible. Exactly. Thank you so much for your wisdom today, Jahan. Is there anything else that you'd like to share with our audience before you go? Probably first and foremost, check out my book. It's called The Psilocybin Connection, Psychedelics, The Transformation of Conscious and Evolution on the Planet and Integral Approach. Found on all major platforms. So as a paperback, uh, ebook, but then also as an audiobook, found on Audible. And then you can find me up on Instagram and Facebook under my first and last name and I post a lot of content on psychedelics since it's quite a fascinating interest of mine. Oh, I was going to ask you about where to find you online, but you already answered that. So thank yeah, you so right. much. For sure. It's an honor. Thank you so much. What an educational and insightful conversation. We covered a lot of ground today. So let's recap what we talked about. First, we explored how psychedelics have influenced human consciousness throughout history. It was interesting to learn how early humans may have expanded their minds through the use of psychedelic mushrooms and plants, and how shamanism played a huge role in our spiritual development. 
Next, we dove into the potential of psychedelic therapy and its impact on mental health. We discovered that psychedelics have shown great promise in treating conditions like treatment-resistant depression, end-of-life anxiety, alcoholism, nicotine addiction, and OCD. MDMA has also been successful in treating PTSD with way better results than traditional therapies. So yay for people who struggle with those types of issues. We learned how drugs such as DMT can create intense visual experiences and take us into different levels of reality where intelligent beings can reside. They work with interacting with serotonin receptors in our brain, leading to increased brain connectivity, creativity, and neuroplasticity. Furthermore, we explored how plant medicine can bring about cultural change revolution. The profound experiences and transformations that can occur through these medicines, like feelings of unity, connection, love, and ancestral healing, have the potential to make significant shifts within our society. Along those lines, we discussed the resistance to psychedelic use over time. From the churches cracking down of their use during the colonization of the Americas, to the pushback against psychedelics during the hippie revolution, it's clear that these substances and their ability to open our minds have been seen as a threat to the established systems and their beliefs. Overall, it's clear that psychedelics have the potential to completely transform mental health treatment and bring about profound changes in our society. We hope that our discussions have given you valuable insights and sparked your curiosity to learn more about this fascinating field. We went through a lot, and I mean a lot. Hopefully, you gained a clearer understanding of the benefits of these types of medicines. Let's shift to discussing what's coming up episode-wise. On Sunday, July 23rd, we're bringing on Kirsten Weiss to discuss her book, The Mysteries of Tarot, and how it fits into her Tea and Tarot mystery series. On Sunday, July 30th, we're going to do a solo episode where we discuss Lunasa, aka Lamas, the first of the three harvest festivals on the Wheel of the Year. We'll do a high-level overview of how this day fits within witchy traditions and how you can use the subtle energies from this time of the year in your own spiritual practices. On that note, we're going to wrap up this week's episode of Spiritual AF Sundays. And hey, as we dive deeper into the potential of psychedelics and mental health treatment, let's approach this journey with an open mind and a compassionate heart, shall we? These substances have shown some seriously promising results in breaking down patterns, nurturing empathy, and forging powerful connections within ourselves and the world around us. So let's get excited about the chance for some real cultural change and revolution. Picture a future where psychedelic therapies are accessible to all and seamlessly integrated into our own healing practices. Together, we can build a world that's more equal and empathetic, tapping into the power of plant medicine and the transformative potential of psychedelics for the benefit of everyone. How amazing would that be? Again, I hope you found some wisdom here that you can take with you in your day-to-day life. With that, have a spiritual AF week. Thank you for joining us for Spiritual AF Sundays. This show is hosted by the Mystic Geek, that's me. Got comments or questions from today's episode? You can either email me at jess at themysticgeek.com 
or send me a voice message at speakpipe.com slash themysticgeek. Don't worry, I'll put the link in the show notes. Help others start off their week with a spiritual AF Sunday by sharing this episode with them. Also, five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts help spiritual seekers find our show. So do the thing. <laughs>